Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. We have a very special guest for you. Well, believe it or not, this is our last episode of the entire season. This season, if you've been following along with us, we have been walking through what I would say are the most difficult passages to understand or interpret, or at least the most divisive passages in the whole Bible. We started Genesis 1, and now we're going to end in Revelation 20. We're going to talk about some end times, views of the millennium. And so as we're talking about apocalyptic literature, I want to know what is y'all's, if there was a zombie apocalypse, what would be your go-to move to survive? Okay, I've thought about this a lot (laughs) because uh, whenever I was in high school, for some reason it got brought up a lot. I think that was like kind of the surge of all the zombie movies about like when I was in junior high and high school. Um, What was your favorite zombie movie? Gosh, that's a good question. Did you watch Zombieland? Uh, yeah, I did watch Zombieland. <laughs> <laughs> I never watched I, the second one though. Zombieland Double Tap. There was yeah, a second one. one. I can't. Yeah. I can't technically say I approve of the listeners to watch Zombieland. Yeah. But if you want to do it on your own accord, please go watch. Way to cover Zombieland. for yourself there. Yeah, yeah you're safe now. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, I did watch that. My favorite was probably uh, I Am Legend, though. Bullshit oh. That is so it's sad. So good. I won't. I won't give any spoilers. But yeah, go watch his, it. I'm watching because the dog. Dies. Yeah, <laughs> the dog. Yeah. Anyway, my um my plan would be I'm going to my best friend from high school Nick's house because he kind of lives out in the country. It's kind of hard to get to. There's only really one way to get to his house, and it's like a skinny little dirt road, and it's kind of a compound. They have many weapons. Outdoor survivalist. His dad is like a, I can fix and do anything, and so I'm teaming up with them. And we're going to ride that thing out because I know he's also prepped for it. I love that. Ailey, how would you survive this zombie apocalypse? Ooh, um, I guess similar to Jacob, I have an uncle who lives out in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, that is like off the grid doing their own thing stuff going on. Alaska is a good move. Uh-huh. And uh, I'd probably go up with him. That boy can do anything in the wild and I cannot, so um, I would uh, die out probably pretty quickly. You are wearing a camo hat, though. Yeah. I, I know, um, but I also have the hoop earring. So uh, who am no, I? Am I? Am I edgy? Did I say earring? You're getting, yeah. you're no, getting you edgy. Thank you edgier, so much. Edgier by the wow. second. But every time you try to call yourself edgy, you get less edgy. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. So you just gotta. Be so aware I need of that. you guys to affirm it without me bringing it up. Okay, can you do that for me? If you earn it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta earn it. Well, being from California, obviously we we know survival skills better than anyone. We have so many. Oh, for sure, we have so many weapons out in California. So I would get as far away from California as possible, unless I had a boat. Like if you had one of those yachts, and zombies can't swim. Everybody knows it's not that. really a skill. Well, I'm saying I have Your skill is to have a yacht. I'm saying I have no skill, so I have to have resources instead. Yeah, I have no discernible skill either that would help me in this um, at all. I would probably have to try to educate the zombies or something out of their zombiness, and that's not going to work. They're going to quickly kill me and eat me. So I'd, I'm di- I would die quickly. I'm also not very stealth or quiet. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be quick for me. I'm one of those first guys that dies in the movie. I'll be that. That's good. Yeah, Joanna, your voice got deeper. <laughs> yeah. You, yes. Yes. If you, can't, if you don't recognize the voice, you will by the end of this episode because we're talking about Revelation, which is 
just a tricky book in itself to navigate with a lot of different contexts and, and different things. And so instead of trying to give you our own thoughts on it, we thought we would bring in someone who's actually getting their doctorate and writing their thesis. Did you finish your thesis? On this? About halfway done. On the book of Revelation. And so this is Garland Autry. If you have not met him, you need to meet him. And so Garland, thanks for basically putting the team on your back today. <laughs> this is going to be fun. This is going to be You fun. asked me yesterday, and so uh, this will be exciting. We'll see what happens. I asked you, hey, two things. <laughs> do you, I said, do you want to – I said, are you free at 10? You said, oh, yeah, you want to go golf? <laughs> I said, no, I want to golf at 1230, but can you, can you do all the work for us at 10? You said, sure. That was acceptable to me, yeah. That's all good. I can offer. Well, that was good for us, too. So tell us just a little bit about, before we dive into this passage, tell us about – your, what you bring to the table when it comes to the book of Revelation? Like, why are you here? Um, mostly I just because I like it. That's probably the biggest thing. I like reading it. Um, it's interesting. I'm not afraid of it. I think a lot of people are scared of reading Revelation. For sure. Um, and so uh, in light of that, I've just, uh, I, I like the book. I think it's exciting. Um, and I've been reading it and rereading it and studying it. Uh, anybody can do that. Um, but I think most people kind of, uh, steer clear of it for a variety of reasons, or they get like weirdly obsessed with it and uh, they start and trying to predict the, all things. They want to talk yeah, about. they get, yeah. And then they start storing up ammo and weaponry because they read it and they're predicting something uh, happening soon. And so both those would be kind of, I, th- I would say, uh, poor reactions to the book of Revelation, either um, running away from it forever because it's like, oh, whatever, that's weird. I don't know what to do with that, or the hyper obsessive. Um, uh, where people can uh, start making sorts of predictions and things like that. Um, and instead, let's just, it's just really fun. It's a great book. Um, it's a great end to the Bible. And so uh, that's why I'm here, I guess. Yeah. That's good. In your hours and hours and books and books that you've read and studied on this, would you confirm that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast? Correct. Oh yes, it, it is most certainly that. Um, so watch out for that vaccine. <laughs> Please, please tell me our listeners can pick up on heavy sarcasm here. I don't want anyone. Yeah, please to, note that. Please I don't want anyone that. to be like, yeah, Fellowship College. Mm. They believe. No, we do not. We do not believe. About that. a decade ago, there was an email that went around, and I got it. It was one of those uh, old people send this kind of email, like a uh, uh, forward this to ten people, and you'll be blessed. And uh, <laughs> the title of it was. Uh, it was before Obama was running, and it said, uh, "Beware of the Obamination of desolation." Oh, and I, it was a no. quick delete for me, and uh, in shame, shook my head at the person that sent it. Um, I guess I wasn't blessed um, because I wish I could have taken back the tin that they sent it to. But that's what I mean by weirdly obsessed. Yeah. Like people can start uh, sending to send an email like that uh, is not just pretty disrespectful, but also just wildly terrible Bible reading. Um, and so let's uh, maybe try to do some of that a little bit better today. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm here for that. And so this season, we've talked from everything from different views of creation. Does God change his mind? Does God promote genocide, uh, slavery, homosexuality, women's roles wow. in the church? And yet, like really important things, I'd say, really impactful things. And yet, more often than not, Revelation 20, views of the millennium, is the the hill that people want to die on. And so I'm excited to have this this conversation today. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, we can get to a point where this passage isn't just 
divisive or something that we want to bring up to make people think that we're really smart and know our Bibles, but actually something that can be encouraging to us and can actually help us to follow Jesus a little bit better. And so let's start. We're going to be in, we're just going to read chapter 20. Well, the first uh, six verses about the the thousand year reign of Christ. And then we'll, don't worry if you don't know any context, we'll fill you in on some context in a second. Jacob, do you want to read that? Just verses one to six? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV version. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Dun, dun, dun. What's going on here? Yeah. All right, before we get anywhere else, what's the context here? What's going on? Maybe even if you want, give a brief overview of the whole book of revelation like what's the genre what are we what are we reading here yeah i think right off the bat when you see uh this passage um you have things like dragons and keys and chains and beasts and um immediately that's going to call to mind um a, a pretty significant question, which is what in the world am I reading here? Um, and so um, I, I'm not going to use words like literal. Um, I think that's a misleading word. Um, no one, or I should say most people reading the book of Revelation would say that we're, when we see things like a, 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 a prostitute riding on a beast that has seven heads and that we're not actually expecting to see a woman riding around on a seven-headed beast somewhere in the Middle East. Um, these are it's symbolic language to describe things uh, that happen in the world. And so the book of Revelation does this uh, throughout the book. Um, and so giving an overview of Revelation is really challenging. Um, and, and just in summary, it's, it basically boils down to this. We're reading both a letter it's a letter. It's you can see even at the beginning. Um, it's yep. addressed to churches. We have seven churches addressed. It's also prophetic in prophecy. The way that prophecy works in the Bible, we tend to think of prophecy as uh, future telling, telling the future, making predictions. But that's really not how the prophets function in the Old Testament. Largely, they uh, we might say they speak truth to power. And usually about things going on in the world in their day. Um, and sometimes they make some future kinds of statements. But usually um, they are they are a mirror holding up to the people, uh, their sin, their idolatry, uh, and their injustice. And, uh, in, in a similar way, I think John functions here like an old Testament prophet. And then this is also a piece of, we might say apocalyptic literature and apocalyptic literature is a really fascinating thing that we don't have time to go into the details of probably now. Um, but there's lots and lots and lots of apocalyptic literature that's being written in the same time as, uh, John is writing this. Um, we look at it and because it's weird in our Bible, we think this is so such a strange thing, but that's 
a lot there's a lot of this kind of thing going on in uh, the the time when this is being written and I liken it to when you read apocalyptic literature, there are certain features that you come to expect, and it takes some practice in reading them. And the the thing I like it to is when you go to a movie and you know you're going to a sci-fi movie, or you know you're going to a western, or you know you're going to a rom-com, it immediately gives you certain expectations of how you're going to you know uh, interact with that movie. And sci-fi is a great uh, analog for uh, how apocalyptic literature works because you're you're expecting monsters in space and uh, you're expecting all sorts of strange things to happen and creatures and um, you 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 settle in it with your imagination in a sci-fi movie and then it's a great experience um, if you went into a sci-fi movie um, with a different set of expectations you would be it would be very disappointing um, and if confusing you, if you thought it, this was like a hey this is a I'm watching some sort of documentary. Yeah, exactly. On, on a History Channel. Yeah, you'd you, be like, "What's, go, what's your, going your, on?" Your expectations be wildly different. So that's the same thing with Revelation. Um, because we don't read a lot of ancient apocalyptic literature, we well, don't speak know. For, speak you know for I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, mo- most of us don't sit around reading apocalyptic literature uh, from the Second Temple period um, around zero uh, A.D. B.C. So because we're, it's unfamiliar to us, it's like we. I got a ticket for a movie we don't understand. And that takes some work, uh, admittedly. But as we get to this part of the book of Revelation, um, we have seen many of these characters before. So angels, the abyss, the bottomless pit, as you, as the ESV translates it, uh, the pit, that, the that, that, are, that shows up in chapter 9. The dragon is actually introduced in chapter 12. And so these are characters that we've been introduced to before. And um, as we will talk about it in just a minute, uh, this is... Uh, a really important passage because of verse four. So really verse four is the, pa- uh, the part of the passage that um, gets debated uh, pretty significantly, four to six, but really four introduces the idea. And it's this question of what do we make of this thousand year uh, period where we have the dragon who we, you can go read Revelation 12. It's, it's the devil, Satan. It says it again right here in ch- chapter 20. What do we do with this period where the, the dragon is seized or placed in a pit. There's a resurrection. There's another resurrection. Oh my gosh, what do we do with that? And this particular passage, verses especially four to six, have been the center of a ton of debate and controversy and back and forth for 2,000 years. And uh, hopefully in the next 20 minutes or so, we can try to get our arms around um, what the views are, why it matters. And then we'll let the, the listener yep. um, kind of go and maybe uh, if this piques your interest to do a little work. But um, yeah, that's our goal for the next uh, handful of minutes, and so let's get to it, I guess. That's good. That, that's that's a really good uh, point. Like any of these other episodes, if you've been listening along, this is just to scratch the surface. We're just trying to help you to ask the right questions, and we're not going to get anywhere close to answering all the questions. We just want, if you're interested in this, we want to help you ask the right questions and point you in the right directions and do it in a way that that is honoring to the text. And so one book, again, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I've got so many questions. I don't even, haven't even read the book of Revelation. Garland actually gave me this book last semester. It's called Reading Revelation Responsibly. And so if you just want to kind of dip your toe into how to read Revelation in a, in a healthy and appropriate way, that would be my recommendation for you. 
any any other recommendations before we kind of dive in here? Yeah, any book you read on Revelation um, is going to take a particular perspective on the conversation we're about to have, and so just know as you read it um, what perspective they take going in. And so I think uh, Gorman's book, Re- Reading Revelation Responsibly, is really helpful. Um, he takes a particular view uh, on this topic. And because of that takes a particular view on the rest of the book of Revelation. Um, and you got to kind of know that going in. Um, he doesn't share the view of uh, at least the the church that we work at. And so, um, yeah, you just have to know that as you, as you start reading a book like that. I think it's a really helpful book though. It helps get your, helps get your arms around how to read it. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's a, I think it's a good recommendation. That's good. And so the devil, the serpent, the dragon is chained he's he's bound and sealed for, for a specific period of time and while he's bound it says i saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge and i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about jesus and because of the word of god talking about these martyrs they had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands they came to life and reigned with christ a thousand years the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And so as we see this thousand year reign of Christ, the res- this first resurrection, the martyrs kind of coming coming back to life, being raised from the dead, the dragon is bound. Historically speaking, what are the different camps or the different ways that people have have viewed this millennial reign of Christ? Yeah, and and that's a really that's a really important question, but I think that when I have taught this before and thought about this before and, and answered this question across a coffee shop table before, I think when we start there, I think oftentimes it creates for most people a, I don't get why this even matters. Um, what are we doing here? Um, and so I think, uh, there's a, there's a question that goes before that. And here, here's the question. I think that we have to, we have to figure out what we do with this question before we get to revelation 20. And, uh, that here's the question. Um, when you read your old Testament, okay. Um, you read through the prophets, you read through the Torah, you have this picture, this story that's developed, and it goes something like this. And I'll get to the question in a minute. Let me set it up. The story goes something like this. There is a creator God. He is good. Um, he is the king of the universe, and he's in unique covenant relationship with humanity. Humanity has violated their part of the covenant. You go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and he has a plan to rescue humanity. That plan is through, he chooses a family, the family of Abraham, and he chooses a people, the people of Israel, the family of Abraham. And the design and the desire of God is to place them in the land so that they can, from the land of Israel, be a blessing to the nations. Okay, That's the big plan of the Old Testament. And if you've read the Old Testament, what you'll probably notice is Israel doesn't do very well at that. Like that's a lot of what the Old Testament is, is look how much they have sucked at doing that 
being a blessing to the nations thing. Um, I usually say it this way. Instead of being a light to the nations, they became like the nations. And so they were filled with injustice and idolatry. And the prophets are constantly telling them them this. And so the prophets, so you read Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Hosea and all those books, those little small ones that we don't like to read. um, Shout out. 412 this summer. Oh, minor prophets. I knew y'all were doing that. Um, So those little books and and some of those big ones like Isaiah, um, they begin to they begin to create a series of expectations for the Old Testament. They go something like this. Israel, because you have failed, you will face the right consequences of that failure. We call we call that the exile. But they keep making these promises, and all, all of them do this. Um, they the, if you go read any prophetic book in the Old Testament, almost all of them at the last chapter or 10 chapters, the last section is, but wait, one day, one day, I'm going to restore you. One day you'll be back in the land and I'm going to have an amazing blessing. And you can see this in Joel chapter three. You can see this in Zechariah 14. You can see it in Isaiah, the, the last 10 chapters in Isaiah that on Mount Zion in Israel, I will uniquely bless you and you'll finally be what I called you to be. And then you'll be a light to the nations. One day it will happen. Okay. So it creates the expectation for, as you close the pages of the old Testament, that one day Yahweh's kingdom will reign in, in Israel. And that's, that's as, we, as we look at the Old Testament, I think most, most scholars would say, certainly, yes, that's there. When we then turn the page to the New Testament, what does that, how does that kingdom, this is the key question, how does the kingdom, that big expectation in the Old Testament of a kingdom and Yahweh coming to reign on earth in Israel, how is the expectation of the kingdom fulfilled in Jesus's life and ministry and announcement of the kingdom when he steps foot on the earth in his first coming. Okay. Jesus talks about a kingdom off, doesn't he? He comes on the scene and he starts saying, he's a surprising king. He's a, it's a very surprising. I know how you love to mock me for every one of my, uh, every one of my sermon titles at some point in there is like the surprising kingdom of Jesus. <laughs> I did it like three times in a row and now Josh never lets me, uh, uh forget true. it. Um, and, and you're right. He is a surprising king. Um, so, if you, if you look at what Jesus starts doing, he starts talking about the kingdom. He says, uh, hey, the, I'm here to preach the good news. Repent, the kingdom of God is here. It's in your midst. And the question then becomes, how much of that kingdom that we're expecting is fulfilled, absorbed, uh, whatever, you want to, whatever word you want to put there, how much of that is fulfilled in what Jesus does in, in his first, first coming. coming and his death and resurrection and then the book of Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And so when we come to a passage like Revelation 20 about a, a reign of Jesus where people will reign and they'll uh, be kingdom of priests and all that. Uh, by the way, the language of kingdom and priest, that's picked up um, all the way back in Revelation chapter 7. You know, I'll sing a new song. I'll make uh, in chapter 5. You'll yeah. be kingdom and priest to me. Um, the person reading Revelation chapter 20 who says Jesus has fulfilled that kingdom in his first coming is going to read this passage differently. Then somebody who says, whoa, 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 wait, wait, we haven't seen that kingdom in Israel from Mount Zion as an Israel thing. We haven't seen that yet. And some of those scholars are going to say, no, 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 this must be a future thing. And so when we talk about the views of the, 
every time I've taught Revelation, we start talking about pre-mill, post-mill, post-trib, pre-trib. Everybody's eyes glaze over, and they get really confused really quickly. It's or, a lot of jargon. Or if they've been told you can only fall in this camp, then they have like yeah, they have the they have questions. It can get really, it gets really heated. And I think oftentimes um, people go, "Tell me your view on Revelation twenty. What do you think about the, the millennial kingdom?" And my my response to that, and I've been doing it here, is, Again. "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to." Let's let's settle down a little bit. First of all, let's read the rest of our Bible because depending on what we've done with the rest of our Bible will influence what we do in interpreting Revelation 20. So, I'll give the I'm going to give the terms in a minute, but I, I want to make sure that the person listening to this um, first of all that you you know why it matters. Um, it's not just you got to pick a camp in Revelation 20 to say which view of the millennium you have. I'm all mill or I'm pre I'm pre mill or whatever. Um, that that's fine. That's important. Um, and if you want to wear it as a badge of honor in some seminary one day or around some people that you want to impress, or, or to go get, for it. Or to get into a seminary. Yeah, or get into a seminary. That's true. That's true. Uh, then, then be my guest. That's fine. But so since I'm the one asking the questions yeah, here, yeah. and you're just the one answering. Uh-huh. Well, hey, why does it matter, Garland? Well, that's uh, what a great segue. Um, I think the reason it matters is. First and foremost, and, and this is a complete, uh, like this will take us a, a higher level than even this conversation. We are affirming as Jesus followers that we really think there's a creator, that we really think he's king, that we really think he's in unique, unique relationship with humans. And when I consider the vastness of this universe that's continually expanding um, and the distant galaxies and all the craziness of this universe, to have those three claims that there is a creator um, that he's the king and that he's in unique relationship with humans and wants to redeem us. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Um, that's a, that, that's got some implications to it. And considering the alternative, one of the alternatives, at least uh, given to us by the, the modern world is um, we are uh, evolved primates only on a random planet, life has somehow sprung up here, but there's no purpose. There's no design. It's not going anywhere. One day the sun becomes a red giant. It eats up the earth, swallows the earth, and everything we did doesn't matter. No matter what we think and believe about it, it doesn't matter. Um, one of the reasons that I think you know, studying the end times or reading Revelation or even having an idea of the future is we know that we, we, are belie- we believe, we are affirming that we think Jesus is in control of this. It's not aimlessly floating uh, on a space rock. That's not our existence. And so that's just an existential question that matters to my day-to-day. Um, the other, the biggest reason why this matters, though, is it matters for interpretation. And so um, we want to be right interpreters of our Bible, Old, New Testament. When Jesus makes a statement, as, as simple as it may seem when you read it in the Gospel of Mark, for example, Mark 1, 14, uh, repent. Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Uh, Believe the good news. Um, What does he mean by that? What does that mean? And depending on how you answer that actually influences Revelation 20, how you answer Revelation 20. So I want to make sure that whoever's listening to this, if you made it 26 minutes in at this point, um, that you're seeing that that's why it matters. It's not just pick a camp in 20 in Revelation. It's what do I do with Jesus's announcement of the kingdom? So let's put the terms to it okay. and, uh, and, and at least make sense of that. Um, I'm hoping that you're seeing that I'm minimalizing uh, the terms, all right? But here they are. There are three primary camps, we might say. Um, this passage is talking about a thousand-year kingdom, okay? Um, 
there it is on the page. That, it's, and you can even underline how many times the th- word thousand years is, is, uh, is repeated here. Um, that's been, you know, uh, we've inherited a way of talking about that. We call it the millennial kingdom, the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. But really, just take, take, take it down a notch, the kingdom of Jesus. What are we talking about? Um, there is one persuasion. They're called the all-millennial camp, okay? I think it's a bad title um all meaning like an atheist they don't really even like that title yeah they don't it's 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 not a great title but it's stuck um and here's what they're essentially saying um the amillennial perspective is that we're not expecting this uh thousand year reign to be a future thing at all this is something that jesus has inaugurated in his first coming and we're experiencing it right now and so a future literal, like I said, I don't like the word literal because um, everybody's trying to read Revelation literally, okay? Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying, I don't want to read this literally, unless I guess some people do. They're just bad scholars. Um, <laughs> but everybody's saying that they're trying to read it literally. The question is, what did John mean? And so these scholars would say that, of the all mill, the all millennial perspective that no, this is not about some future physical kingdom on the earth. This is a way of speaking about Jesus's reign as the King that he's inaugurated in his death and resurrection. So in that sense, they, they're not looking for any kind of future physical Jesus reign on the earth kind of thing. Um, not because they don't think Jesus isn't a King or they don't think there's a kingdom. They think it's now. And so if I'm just, this is, by the way, all these are going to be in uh, brief, you know, we're going to distill, which means we're going to leave out uh, nuance in doing this. Even in a lot of these camps, you'll have, you'll find 10 all millennials and they'll all believe something different. They'll have different nuances. Like, let me give you an example of how they would read this passage then. Um, And I'll have to do it by, I'll do it by uh, giving a um, a historical claim that was made by the Caesars. Okay. Uh, The Caesars were believed and it was, it was, uh, uh, on bill on what we would call billboards this was propaganda that was put out by rome um and it went like this um believe in the caesars follow them bow down to the caesar he is the son of god on earth and if you do rome will bring the thousand years of peace and prosperity that the earth wants that's a regular piece of propaganda yeah. that's going on in the roman empire and when you hear that and then you read this you go so i'm, I'm trying let me give defense for the all millennial perspective they're going to say Oh, I see what I see what John's doing. He's taking something that the culture is going, look, Rome brings the rain. And he's actually doing a clever like, oh, you think Rome brings the the true kingdom? The true kingdom, the surprising king is Jesus. You see how they're doing that? They're that's a literal reading um, of this. And if if you are approaching Revelation 20 from the ah millennial perspective, then you're going to usually say a uh, much of what Jesus and his kingdom is about has been inaugurated. Okay. Um, is that like when you're a kid and you like, you take a lot of pride that your dad could beat your friend's dad up? Basically. Yeah. Jesus has the real kingdom and it wins over that other kingdom. And so don't be fooled I, by the other did, kingdom. You didn't have that growing up? <laughs> Can't relate. Not the mean streets of <laughs> upper peninsula, Michigan. Um, so the second My view, mom could beat your mom up. <laughs> now, that, now that would be fun. Um, the second view is that, that there are few, the fewest amount of scholars and pastors and preachers uh, are in the second view. It's called the post-millennial kingdom, okay? Post-millennial kingdom. No relation to post-millennial. Um, no, I don't even know who that is, um, but uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> our, really, our, really cool. Our um, listeners will for sure. Yeah, okay, good, good. Um, the question about when we talk about post-pre millennium, okay, that concerns the timing, okay? The timing of Jesus' return. 
Um, does Jesus return before the kingdom, pre-millennial, or does he come back after the kingdom, post-millennial? Um, the post-millennial view um, would say that Jesus comes back after the church establishes the kingdom. And uh, they would then read Revelation 19, the, you know, the, the rider on the white horse. They can either read that and say, the, notice the rider doesn't actually descend, he just, it's just a vision of a rider up in the clouds and an angel comes down. And so they would say, this is not a picture. Some of them would say, this is not a picture of Jesus's return. This is just a picture of the, the victorious Jesus. Um, they're not denying that he will return. One of their main verses though, is in Matthew chapter 13, when there's a parable about a really small seed that becomes a really large seed and all the beasts and the birds come under, they would say, see, that's a picture of the church becoming this great kingdom. And, um, at the end of which Jesus will return. Okay. Uh, this view was gained a lot of popularity, we might say, with some of the uh, excitement in Western Europe and America concerning technology and things were uh, we had revivalism going on, and it largely went out. It was sort of world, an optimism. Yeah, World War the One, the 20th century ruined a lot of this. Uh, people that were really optimistic about humans and the church bringing the kingdom. Because well, that view, in a, in large part, and I don't want to just generalize it, was that. Hey, if God's kingdom is spreading, the world is going to continue to get more and more like God's mm-hmm. kingdom, which means whatever his his morals and and that like his goodness will spread, and so the world will just get mm-hmm. better. And we should be get, establishing yeah. a physical kingdom in the in the world now called the church, and using that kingdom to influence everything. And then Jesus will come back. Uh, so th- th- there's not a lot of scholars I can even think of that even uh, articulate that view or hold it now. The last one is called the premillennial view, and it goes something like this. Uh, in Revelation 19, we see the, the, the rider on the white horse is Jesus. Um, this is the announcement of, of, of a vision of his return, and chapter 20 comes after that. It's pretty simple. Um, chapter 20 talks about a thousand year reign and uh, where we have resurrection taking place, a first and a second. They would say this has not happened. Um, uh, the word that's being trend, the strongest case for the premillennial view, um, at least from Revelation 20, is the reality that the Greek word, it doesn't matter what if, if you can say it or not, but the Greek word for resurrection here is the word that almost exclusively in the New Testament means a physical resurrection, like a bodily resurrection. And so um, they would look at this thing where it says, verse five, this is the first resurrection. And then there's a, the second death has no power, but then there's a second resurrection. They would say, these are two, um, two physical bodily resurrections that will take place at two different times separated by a long period of time, or even maybe a thousand, something like a thousand years. So this premillennial view, premillennialism would be that Jesus will come back one day, and when he comes back, he will establish the kingdom. And many of the premillennial view would say that that is fulfilling all that story in the Old Testament about Israel and Zion and the people of Israel in the land. They would say all those expectations that to them are not filled yet, not fulfilled yet. Those are taking place in this verse um, or in this thousand year reign. And so uh, the, the people in the pre-millennial camp, um, they, some of them would look at the Old Testament and say, because it talks about Israel, because it talks about Zion, because it talks about the land and Israel has since 70 AD been outside the land in disobedience, um, that one day they'll be back in the land and one day they will experience a unique blessing as an ethnic people with Jesus reigning as their king insert that into this passage. And so um, those are those are the three main views, I guess, but it it's really 
it's much simpler than that and yet much more complex than that. Uh, simple in that, what do we do with these expectations from the Old Testament? How does Jesus fulfill them in his first coming? And if you say he hasn't fulfilled them all the way, in what sense will he fulfill them when he returns? Um, the left behind books. So a lot of people's <laughs> experience of these questions are not from the Bible, really, um, but they're largely influenced by media. And with Gen Z, it's probably less and less. Of the left behind, behind. yeah. Yeah. I think that what has happened is the left behind books really informed the boomer and Xer generation, but then uh, that informed a lot of the pop culture way we think about it, and parents have talked to their kids about it. And so um, the left behind books are representing the pre-millennial view, okay? Um, They're actually representing the uh, the premillennial view that also has a very specific seven year window before that, that they call the great tribulation. Um, and the, the book basically those series of books drops you into a dramatic telling of the great tribulation. Um, and so and they're, they're entertaining. I always say a really great experience would be to, uh, get some friends, uh, a beverage of choice, and then go watch the left behind, uh, go watch the left behind movie with Nick Cage. Um, it's fantastic. And so, uh, yeah, it's a really fun experience watching that movie with friends, knowing you're going in like, this is kind of watch it like a comedy, like watch Um, the one that Nick Cage is in. Don't invite Nick Cage to watch it with you. That would be amazing. Nick Cage. If if I could watch a Nick Cage movie with Nick Cage, that would be the best experience of my life. Um, so I mean, y'all are all sitting here and I, and based on the way you're looking at me, I can't tell if this is clear (laughs) and making it easy or if this is not. So what, what follow-ups or questions from the table here? Yeah. Well, first off, I, I won't speak for the whole table, but I'm thinking for myself, this was so helpful. You, you being here was 10 times better than us trying to answer this <laughs> on our own. And so, so thank you for, for that. But yeah, that's, um, I think laying out generally for people who are curious, who want to know, um, you know, we, we all talk with students specifically frequently who are wanting to dive deep into the Bible. And though revelation can be hard and so yeah, some people are kind of like, oh, shy away from it. Uh, it seems like there's more and more of a hunger to like really dig in. Like, no, I do, I do want to know. And so answering these questions are really helpful. One thing that I pull from Revelation just as a whole book, um, as far as, hey, kind of like the why is this important, is because Revelation is, Garland, like you said, okay, it's the end of our entire Bible. It's the end of the New Testament. And, it, you know, it's written in part to, or mainly to these specific churches in first century time period. Um, however, it is announcing and it is telling the story of how Jesus is fulfilling and has fulfilled all these things from the Old Testament that we read. Uh, and it is giving hope to believers and encouraging believers to continually faithfully follow Jesus. Because no matter what stance you land on, he is the one true king. He has overcome death and evil and all these things in his death and his resurrection. And there will be that consummation of the new heavens and the new earth to come. And so it should be a very like life-giving, grounding, momentum-driven book that everybody listening should be like, yes, I want that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it grounds us in no matter what is happening, no matter how, you know, whatever view you take or how it actually, you know, plays out, um, that is true. Uh, and so it's a very grounding thing um, that is rooted in these different views. Yeah, I think uh, that that's well said. And um, one of the things that I think Revelation doesn't get the credit it deserves for, but anybody that begins to study it goes, oh, I see it. It's a book of worship. Um, if you really want to to 
have a deep abiding worship of Jesus, just read Revelation over and over and over and over and over again. You'll actually see worship is instructed. You, you get worship words in it. Um, they break out into a new song. The angels have a song. It's really a book about worship and worshiping correctly. And, uh, and as such, I mean, just, just dive in and, uh, and see what happens. Uh, and you might find your heart uh, beginning to just be more full of the glory, wonder, and beauty uh, of Jesus. I think we probably should uh, at least mention, um, you know, we are sitting at Fellowship Bible Church, Fellowship Fayetteville. Um, the, the fellowship at least um, adopts the pre-millennial view. And so um, that's the view that uh, that kind of the historic tradition of fellowship has adopted. Uh, many of the pastors uh, here went to Dallas Seminary, and that's the view that they uh, instruct there. And so, um, yeah, just if that if that helps you to know as you are going through this um, this you know personal study or in a small group with some people you're discipling, um, you know that's that that that's the perspective that you if you've grown up here or you've been around you might have been exposed to. And if you're going, I want to get the other views, uh, then then do that. If you are if you're unfamiliar with all of them, then you know. Maybe start there because if you go to fellowship, that's the, the view they hold. So um, any other questions or issues? Well, not a question or issue, but I feel like this is just a good time to remind our listeners of something we've been saying all season that um, kind of like Josh mentioned in the beginning, there are um, these are really hard passages in the Bible. Um, the ones that we've been going through all season are really hard and there are going to be people with different perspectives on them. Like you laid out, um, in a really great way today, Garland. And when we come to scripture and when we are diving deep into figuring out, um, what the Bible is saying and what maybe our personal stance is, which one we're going to kind of camp out in, we have to remember that the Bible cannot say what we want it to say. Um, the Bible has a, a, a true interpretation to it. And when we are trying to figure out um, where we land, we do that with the, um, uh, I guess, approach of, okay, what is the author trying to communicate and doing our best to read it responsibly and um, taking into consideration other commentaries and people that have studied this for a really long time. And so we don't, we don't stand and, and take a, a position based on what we want to be true. We do it based on what we think is the most faithful to what the author was intending to get across. Yeah. A word I would just insert there is humility. I think reading the Bible requires a humility because um, we are doing our best to understand something that was written, in this case, uh, almost 2,000 years ago in another language with a different genre that we don't use. And uh, we're also reading it in translation. And so if I handed you anything besides the Bible and said, read this, and I told you, and you said, what is it? Well, it's an ancient piece of yeah, Egyptian um, apocalyptic literature, and you're reading it in translation, you would begin reading that with a great sense of, this is going to be really challenging, and I need a humility, I need to learn, and I need to be, like, I need to let the, I need to do my best to put the hard work in to try to understand this. You would start with that. I think when it comes to the Bible, we can sometimes start with a different posture and just at, at just bare face value. That's what you're doing. When you read the Bible, you're reading ancient, an ancient text that was written in a different language with different conventions and different ideas. And you're trying to do your best to make sense of that. And so approach that with humility and then uh, other brothers and sisters are doing the same thing. And so we approach them with humility. And so I think that's, I think that's well said, Eileen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and as we um, start to close up Garland, 
I know you mentioned reading Romans or <laughs> funny reading Revelation responsibly. Somebody should write that book though. That'd be a great book. <laughs> that was a good book. But we need to read Romans. Reading Romans backwards is a great book. <laughs> I do like that book. Scott true. McKnight's um, book. But what would you say are the next steps for students who maybe don't have any background in any of this, but want to start diving deeper? Um, that that book you mentioned earlier, reading Revelation responsibly. What are some other ways that they can uh, next steps they can take? Um, well, if you, if you go to church here and you're just really interested, uh, in some of this stuff, then, uh, first I'd say is talk to one of you guys, or I'm always available just to hang. And, uh, sometimes I think books and podcasts and things like that, um, they're great entry points. Sometimes it's best to sit across a table with coffee and just ask some questions and, and get your bearings. But to, to answer that question really simply, I would read the Bible over and over and over again. And don't read it just to go on a hunt for something that makes you feel good you can journal about. Read it to try to understand it and read big, big swaths of it. You know, try to read the Torah in like a couple month period or even a couple, maybe a week. Um, read through the prophets and, and get used to doing it so that you start to see how these expectations build and then go read Revelation over and over and over again. And it's, it's not, it's not, rocket science in that sense. Um, but just read the Bible and read it over and over again and do so in community or with disciples or with a mentor who can help you, but just read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. And, uh, some of these things begin to get uh, clearer as we do that. Will you be writing a book on revelation anytime <laughs> soon? I will. I am 88 pages in on a dissertation and I've got about 200 more that literally no one will read. Uh, my <laughs> wife says, Oh, I'll read it. And, and even she won't read it because I, uh, I will not read it. No, dissertations are made and written for people that don't read anything but this. And they're, if you write it for anybody else, they go, no, 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 it's not scholarly. So I'm writing a 300 page dissertation on revelation that literally my wife won't even be able to read. Um, and maybe one day we'll turn some of that into something that somebody might want to read. But uh, until then, I got to finish this dry scholarly dissertation. And if you want to read it out there, send me an email and I'll send it to you gladly. Somebody will email you, but nobody will actually read it. They'll just do it out of <laughs> mockery to me. Yes. And that's fine too. I'll take that as well. Well, that's good. Well, Garland, seriously, thank you so much for being here. It was fun. I mean, this was so helpful. This was way better than we could have done <laughs> yep. on our own. Um, and so if you, again, this is our last episode of the season. And so if you've learned anything else, we just want you to start to ask the right questions. We want you to see that that God's word is is helpful, that God has spoken to us through his word and that we can interact with him and we can learn about him and we can go and be a part of his kingdom that's here and now. And so if you have hated this episode because Revelation is confusing, we're just telling you, just go start to read it, grab, re read Revelation responsibly, even go listen. The Village Church actually has a very great sermon series on it that, that has helped me to just kind of digest Revelation. But we do have a little spoiler for, oh. for a new series, not a new series, but kind of what's coming this summer for those of you um, that have continued to ask us questions about love, sex, and dating, which is like 90% of y'all, <laughs> we are caving and we'll do a short love, sex, and dating podcast series this summer. And so be on the lookout for that. But if you ever have any questions or you need anything, we'd love to talk to you and help you follow Jesus more faithfully here in Northwest Arkansas. And so until next season, 
Grace, Grace and peace. peace.